Amen. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Early in the Hebrew scriptures, in Genesis to be exact, there's a story. It's a long story. It involves several key players, but central to the story I want to share with you is the story of a man named Jacob. Turns out Jacob was a trickster. He cheated his brother out of his birthright. He cheated his father-in-law out of his best sheep. Of course, Jacob was tricked as well. Uh, his his father-in-law tricked him into marrying a woman the sister of whom he loved tricked him into marrying the other sister the story culminates when Jacob's brother finally catches up with him and Jacob is fearful of what his brother will do to he and his family and so Jacob prepares his family for the onslaught of his brother Esau and all his people to destroy his family. And then he goes off by himself to prepare himself for that, what he believes is his inevitability. In the evening, someone, the scripture tells us, an angel, perhaps a messenger of God, comes to Jacob and they wrestle through the night the, the metaphor is, is very clear, isn't it? He is not sleeping because he is wrestling with what is before him. And, and the angel is wrestling, and they wrestle all night long, and Jacob requests to know the name of the person he is wrestling with, and, and, and they wrestle until Jacob receives a blessing. And Jacob receives a new name, Israel. And as the dawn breaks, Jacob returns to his family and leads them toward Esau and his family, only to be met by Esau and to be forgiven. And the scripture says that after the wrestling, Jacob forever walked with a limp. But he had been given a blessing and a new name. Sometimes I feel like Jacob when it comes to the scriptures and what to say about them. And today's scripture is exactly one of those. On Thursday evening, those of us who gathered to do the online Bible study wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with the story we hear today of Jesus entering a synagogue and teaching and then being confronted by a person who was possessed of an evil. We, we wrestled and tried to figure it out, and we had so many thoughts, and, and I continued to wrestle with this scripture in the days that followed. And maybe today we can wrestle with it a little so that we might be blessed. 
In the last few weeks, we have entered the story of Jesus from the perspective of the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And, and so, as it happens in Mark, everything's happened in quick succession. Um, Mark tells the story of Jesus' baptism, which is the introductory story of the whole Gospel and then tells a story of calling the first disciples. And now there is a third epiphany story. Epiphany meaning showing forth, or the inbreaking of God, or the light of God shining, right? In all of these epiphany stories, Jesus' identity is being revealed. First, in the immediate response of those he calls, And now in a direct and dramatic confrontation with an evil spirit that has possessed a man. The common English Bible calls it evil. The New Revised Standard Version of the scripture translates that Greek passage as unclean. And and we wrestled with that on Thursday night. Is it unclean or is it evil? Does unclean mean bad or is, is it not really bad? What does it mean? Still, what is important is that the power of the spirit, whatever it is, has overtaken this person. That is clear. The world of the Gospel of Mark was a world full of shadows and menace, riddled with demonic forces who in the gospel, distort creation, and overwhelms hearts and minds. I don't know that we, that's too far from a description of some of what happens today. In the gospel of Mark, human beings are cast as porous creatures, often open to spiritual influences. Sound familiar? Jesus himself is driven deep into the desert by the Holy Spirit. And in our story today, the man in the synagogue is possessed by something evil or unclean, or perhaps we might say unholy. If If we understand holy as being set apart for God, maybe this evil or unclean or can spirit can be discerned as unholy. However we define it, it is troubling according to those who witnessed it. Mark's crackling account has not only Simon, Andrew, James, and John recognizing Jesus' authority and following immediately, but the interesting thing about this story is that the spirit, that unclean, evil, unholy spirit that has possessed the man recognizes exactly who he is. And along with these disciples, now what seems the opposite of them is calling out Jesus for who he is. I know who you are, the spirit says. You are the Holy One of God. And the response of Jesus is to silence. To call silence to that one. Now, part of this is, is the, 
the mystery of the Gospel of Mark. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus doesn't seem to want to be identified. And for years, scholars have thought about that and tried to understand it. But this confrontation at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark launches Jesus' ministry, launches his public ministry. And so the writer's message is clear. Jesus comes into the world as a healing liberator in direct and authoritative opposition to the death-dealing forces of evil and ruin in the world. At first glance, this way of understanding the world can seem sort of old, old-fashioned and foreign. I mean, you know, we, we don't generally walk around talking about, well, some people do, I guess, but we as more progressive Christians don't go around talking about demonic possession and demonic forces. But it's precisely this historical and cultural distance that we have from this that can show us stories that shed new light on our lives today. I I mean, let's confess, there are any number of death-dealing forces today and often experienced as possession or being caught up in dynamics that are far exceeding our intentions or our control. Think of how addiction overwhelms individuals and families. Think how racism and white supremacy shapeshift over time. Think about violence and the obsession and possession of people perpetrating it on others. How anger consumes and envy devours. And how all of us, even against our will, are complicit in the climate crisis. Or how truth and speaking truth and being grounded in reality have now caused so much distortion in our world, in our country, in our lives because of people possessed of rumors and stories and and we may or may not call addiction or racism or the distortion of truth demons, but they are certainly unholy, aren't they? These forces move through the world as if possessed of a kind of cunning. They seem to resist our best attempts to overcome them. Oh, we get glimmers of light here and there. Every now and then, we feel uplifted that we can breathe again as we make our own attempts at dealing with all of this we the experience can be less like figuring out what to do an equation of what can be done and more like wrestling with a beast and every time you wrestle with it, it shapeshifts to something new. And so for the writer of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes into the world to wrestle with these shape-shifting beasts. The word salvation 
comes from the Latin salvus, which means health. Do you hear that? Salvation means health. And in Mark, Jesus' idea of salvation isn't to give us a ticket into heaven in the sweet by and by, but rather to bring new health into our lives and communities and the world. For Jesus' sake, for Jesus, the sake of all people and the whole creation and the whole realm of God, the death-dealing forces must be confronted and ultimately overcome. For those disciples to follow Jesus was to join him in this kind of confrontation, to speak and act with boldness and clarity, to heal and liberate with words and at the same time with deeds. And as Mark tells it, when Jesus says to James and John, follow me, he means follow me into the fray. I mean, not follow me into the comfort, not follow me into kicking back and relaxing, follow me into the fray, into the shadows, into the menace itself. Jesus means follow him into the work of building up the ruins, of freeing the captives of salvation in the sweet by and by and especially in the immediate here and now. So if salvus means health, then consider that the word used in this passage come out, when Jesus is saying, come out of him, is akatharton. Akatharton. Do you hear it? Akatharton. Akatharton. Katharton. Katharsis. The purging of the emotions. The discharge of pent-up socially unacceptable affects so as to result in the alleviation of symptoms or the permanent relief of a condition. A catharton. Catharton, catharsis. Could it be, might it be, that the encounter with Jesus offers catharsis then and now, cleansing of people and cultures of evil, unclean, unholy demons? that have possessed us in our world. For Mark, when Jesus speaks, we hear God's voice. And when Jesus acts, we see God's activity in the world. And sure enough, Jesus doesn't simply talk about it. Jesus heals and liberates. And in this sense, Jesus' teaching is indistinguishable from his mission and from who he is. Jesus speaks and acts, and from his essence, his purest self, what Jesus says, what he does, and who he is are all one and the same. Jesus is the Holy One of God, the one who has come today to heal and to liberate the world and creation and the cosmos and the realm of God, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what about for you and me? We, with all our own demons, all our own evil, all our unholiness, our encounter with Jesus in these days may leave us crying out, even shrieking, what have you to do with us? I mean, surely you've shouted that over the last year. What are you doing, God? What have you to do with us? 
Or maybe better, what have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? The answer comes back again and again. I've just completed reading, well, listening to Doris Kearns Goodwin's book, Leadership in Turbulent Times. Doris Kearns Goodwin is one of the great living historians of our time. In her book, she traces the work and lives and leadership of Abraham Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt and Franklin D. Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson. Theodore Roosevelt took his inspiration from Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin D. Roosevelt took his, inf- his inspiration from Theodore Roosevelt, and LBJ took his inspiration from FDR. But it's Abraham Lincoln I want to go to first and say, if you didn't know, he suffered from great and debilitating depression. His losing elections and and then losing his children and then having to face a, a desperate and violent life-killing war. And more than once, he was driven to his knees in the midst of that great and devastating and debilitating depression and still he rose. Still he stood. Still he was rid of those demons and became a great and lasting leader of our country. This Jesus, the one who speaks with authority, speaks with his own words and with his own life so that no fear may have power over us and that we will live with sound minds and that the peace which passes all understanding may be ours. This Jesus responds to all that is unhealthy within us and in our world and wrestles with the beasts on our behalf This Jesus responds and says to our questions, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What have you to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus says, everything. I have everything to do with you. As does the God who loves you beyond your imagining. We have everything. We want everything to do with you. Amen.